Uh, I don't know if it's just me, but Harry, in case you're speaking, we can't hear anything. I don't know if if it's just me or if we can't hear him. Um, thank you so much, Sabrina. I wasn't speaking. I was just uh working on the technicalities to make sure that our moderator is on prima. I've been trying to send her an invite. I think also uh, Council Nasa is here. So let me just work on that in the next two, three minutes, and then we can begin that space with the moderator. Yes, you can be heard. Thank you so much. Um, we apologize. I apologize for the glitches that happened at the beginning. Um, I was trying to get permission to speak, but here we are. Um, thank you so much for making the time to be on this Twitter space. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. Uh, the topic has already been shared. We are going to be talking about the rise of AI and the future of legal practice. I have... I have the privilege of having, I think, the most wonderful panel. Um, I, I don't see Council Nasa as a speaker. I'm wondering um, if Harry is able to sort that out. I do not think myself in the position to introduce our speakers. I might do a disservice to who they are because they are um, a very special panel indeed. I'll just request as we buy some time for um, NASA to join the panel, to join as a speaker, I'll just request Sabrina, um, Barry, to introduce yourselves um, as we wait for NASA and Asaf. Uh, I've not been informed if he'll make it, but he's supposed to be part of the panel. Otherwise, welcome, and we hope that you have a lovely time. You could also... Um, ask a friend to join, someone that could be interested in this conversation to join the Twitter space. Um, Sabrina, Barry, over to you. Oh, okay. Um, can I be heard? Uh, just to confirm. Yes, we can hear you loud and clear, Sabrina. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Prima. Uh, privileged to be hosted by you and uh, Lex Amika. And a good evening to everyone on the call. I'm called Atwine Sabrina. I'm, uh, I just finished my law school recently. Uh, but most of the times, I, I'm just seen in mostly tech entrepreneurship uh, spaces. I am very passionate about uh, people, about uh, processes and how we can leverage and harmonize all these with technology uh, to be able to impact change uh, with the sustainable development goals and all that. I recently just started a new role at the Innovation Village as a product manager and that speaks a lot about uh, some of the things I'm passionate about, building things, creating things, 
uh, making sure that you build communities that um, give value to the people and make life better, basically. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, as we go on, maybe I'll share more about myself. But for now, that's it. And yes, I found a startup called Nimarunji that is in data uh, analysis. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sabrina. Uh, Sabrina is being very humble. <laughs> She's recently been speaking at the UN, um, but we'll probably get into that as the conversation goes. Um, Barry, if you're able to hear us, please introduce yourself. Thank you. I hope I'm audible enough. Yes, you are. All right. Uh, my pleasure to be here for this discussion. My name is Barry, Barry Ainomgisha. I work in the blockchain space mostly. I'm a tech enthusiast. I know a thing or two about artificial intelligence and its impact. I use it mostly in my daily activities. So I think I'll have a few insights to share about today's topic of discussion. Oh, and also I have a legal background. So I mean nothing but to steal about legal practice and how AI could factor into that. Thank you. Thank you, Barry, for being you being humble as well. Um I see that NASA is just trying to connect, but if you can hear us, um, please introduce yourself. NASA, if you're able to hear us, please um, introduce yourself. Um, can I just confirm if I can be heard because I'm not receiving any feedback? Yes, you can be heard. Okay. Um, I think as we wait, as we wait for NASA to uh, join the conversation, because I can see him as a speaker, I just want to sort of do a little uh, tour through what we're going to be talking about. Um, we know that AI and technology are taking over almost each and every industry. It is now almost inseparable to talk about any field without referring to technology or AI. And it's a reality that we cannot, um, we can't run away from anymore. And in today's conversation, we basically want to understand the landscape of AI um, and how it's integrating into the legal sector. We want to understand the benefits and challenges that come with this adoption of AI. Uh, we want to also explore the question of data uh, security and privacy. And we'll also have we'll also be understanding the interaction between human humans and AI. Is there a point at which we can collaborate, at, at which um, AI and human beings can collaborate? And then we'll want to 
have kind of through our forecast into the future what would what is the future going to look like with us um, having technology as an integration into legal practice and um, just to get us started um, our first part really is just understanding the landscape um i would want to firstly understand from barry uh we acknowledge that ai is making significant strides in many of these industries um barry how would you describe the current state of ai adoption in in the legal protection um, especially in uganda are we in the early stages are we receptive um what are the examples of of how ai is currently being used what is ai um you know what 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 is it anyway in terms of of, of the legal sector and the legal space thank you so artificial intelligence is has become a trend recently because of the generative applications that have been out there like chat gpt so most people who get to know about ai they think about it in terms of generative applications of artificial intelligence like ChatGPT um, or any other that are commonly used. But artificial intelligence is broader than just those generative applications where you ask a few questions and they give you different options or they generate responses to whatever question you've posed to them. So it is broader and much bigger than the AI models that we have being commonly used like ChatGPT. So artificial intelligence can be defined briefly as uh, the development of computer programs that perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. So it's mainly about automation of certain processes. How it's being used right now in the country or in the legal profession, I think most people that use AI use it mainly in documentation. They use it to perform mundane tasks that would require active human action. So they, they use AI to automate those processes. The general, I, I cannot give the general outlook of what the adoption or the reception has been for artificial intelligence, but I understand that a number of people use different AI models in their day-to-day -day work to increase their work efficiency, to perform other tasks. But also, I recently encountered a certain phrase that most lawyers, the most computer sophistication skills they have are reusing what document so they say the lawyers are not really the best people when it comes to tech and things like that but i believe that in this age and era that it has been debunked and it's not the case with us so we've had a series of interaction with artificial intelligence like for example there has been talk about whether ai is going to replace lawyers and other professionals, whether it's going to render them irrelevant, a profession that has been here for so long and traditionally been respected. How is AI going to replace them? Is it even a fact or is it a fallacy? So I think that is going to be the bedrock of today's discussion. 
I hope I've answered that question preliminarily. In case there is anything I've missed, you can kindly highlight. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Barry. That is very, very insightful. Um, I want to, and this is still part of the, our segment of under, just understanding the landscape. Um, before we get to um, Konde introducing himself, I just want to engage Sabrina. Um, and I'm, I'm particularly taking it from the point of uh, a valid point you raised on whether AI is going to replace lawyers and how we know um, legal practice to have been in, in, you know, in the past. And, and, and you know, because we bank so much on, on, on the traditional setting. Um, I, I know and I've had Sabrina use this phrase, and that's why I'm directly going to pose this question to her. Um, she, she said before somewhere in, in a space that AI is not going to replace us, but people who are using AI are going to replace us. So, Sabrina, um, let, let's just engage us on on whether AI really can replace uh, lawyers, as as we think, or as as we we are scared that it will. Uh, uh thank you very much, uh, Prima. I've said this so many times in so many spaces, and I won't be scared to say it again, even here. I honestly don't think that AI is here to replace anyone's job, yeah? But what I believe is that people who are not uh, well-trained with AI, people who do not know how AI operates, who do not know how to use it, their jobs are going to be taken away. Not by AI, but but by people who understand how to use AI. I don't know if that makes sense. And that takes me back to my biggest worry as we are talking about the rise of AI uh, and the future of the legal practice. Uh, Barry has already uh, stated that there's a very huge gap between the lawyers and artificial intelligence and technology at large. Uh, And there's just like a very big gap to the extent that uh, it makes me so sad. Like in my class, I had people who could not even operate a Gmail app Yes, just opening it and finding where the lecturer has sent the coursework or the marks. This girl would come to me every single time in my room and she'd be, Sabrina, Sabrina, the lecturer has sent this work. Where do I find it? He has said, he sent it on email. And this is like a lawyer in year four because we were in year four. So being uh, the fact that we have lawyers who are being prepared for future practice and these lawyers are not equipped with the competent and relevant skills needed, for me, I think that's what scares me the most, and not artificial intelligence. Because as Barry has said, there's definitely so much uh, good that we can find with AI, starting from automations that make the job of these lawyers very easy, starting from data analysis that can help them predict and help them like be more productive and focus more on the things that are necessary other than wasting time on you know documenting and spending all that time like doing all these things that already exist with open source and all that yeah so i don't want to take much of the time but i strongly believe that ai is an enabler but if you do not really acquaint yourself with it someone who knows how to use it is definitely going to take your position because everyone is going to want someone who is competent, someone who is more skilled, someone who is more relevant. Yeah, so that's what I think. 
Thank you so much, Sabrina. Um, our two other panelists have just joined, and I'll just request them to introduce themselves. Um, Konde, please, uh, the floor is yours. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Um, like everyone has said, uh, my name is Nasa Konde, and uh, I'm an IT specialist and also a lawyer. And this is based on my training and background. So I have a degree in IT and a degree in law. I'm also a Cisco certified network associate. Um, that's a, an equitation given to people who want to mainly focus on systems administration and design. And that is basically uh, people who want to know how to use the, the various computer user interfaces and uh, the various computer databases. So. That is basically uh, my, my training. And uh, with regards to uh, technology and the law, um, of course, given my background, I'm passionate about the two, and I've written uh, about those two areas. And uh, ideally, uh, when it comes to AI, um, it's something that uh, most people believe is sophisticated, but I don't think it is. And I don't think um, it's an area that is going to replace the job of a lawyer to say, because even to create AI, you need a lawyer. You need a lawyer and a computer scientist or a computer program, create a robot that can behave like a lawyer. Because you need a lawyer to feed uh, the system with data that corresponds to what lawyers do. So let's give an example of submissions in court. You need a lawyer who knows how submissions work and what they are to work with a computer programmer, kind of compute and make that into binary ones and zeros, and then feed it to the AI, which will then be able to submit in code. So ideally, uh, lawyers and AI will have to work together. Um, that calls for adaptation, uh, which is a bit you know, tricky, but I believe uh, if you are positive, it can work. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. And I have a very uh, burning question for you, but we'll get back to that. Um, Asaf, if you can hear us, kindly introduce yourself uh, so that we can proceed. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I guess I'm audible enough. Am I audible, please? Yes, you are. Uh, if Barry could mute, so we reduce the echo. Yes, you are. Uh, if Barry main campus and I happen to be the president you see you at uh, campus I'm glad to be here with you today discussing about this technical issue of uh, tech evolution the rise and evolution of AI in legal practice today yes uh, I came in a bit later I was in the hospital but I found when uh, Sabrina was submitting indeed I'll conquer with Sabrina and uh, Mr. Nassau have just submitted uh, recently that AI shall not actually cause job displacement, but rather it is there to supplement on the work that is meant, or the, on the work that is done by uh, lawyers. Actually, Madam Sabrina talked about automation, among others. Yes, the automation capacity of AI. However, the, those who know a lot about AI and how to use it, its capability and capacity, 
I think they will be the one to displace those who uh, don't know how to use AI. But AI itself, really, as Mr. Kwanda submitted, that its operation requires uh, requires a person who will feed in the codes or who will feed in the information for it to operate. Yeah, even though it is a robot, it needs a command of a person for it to operate. Therefore, I concur with uh, the people who submitted at first that indeed it will not cause job displ uh, displacement, but rather people, most especially lawyers, who work together hand in hand with AI to produce effective work. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much. Um, I request Barry to mute because I keep getting an echo on my side. Can you hear me even if Barry is um, unmuted? Because I, I keep receiving an echo on my end. Virunji, my mic is muted. Oh, okay. I, I still see a, a thing. Um, okay. Sorry about that. Konde, I, I just want to engage you. Um, you mentioned ones and zeros, and I'm doing the CS50 course, a Harvard course on, on computer and the law. Very interesting. Um, I just want you to get into... Uh, the technical bits, what uh, what very specific AI models are being integrated into um, the legal sector um, in, in terms of like contract reviewing. I had the privilege of attending the Africa Law Tech Festival and, and um, the, the, in South Africa, they're doing great work uh, developing models that even just like review contracts. So we just want to understand for someone who doesn't have a background of knowing anything about, you know, tech and the law, what are some examples of how AI is being used um, in very practical ways, um, you know, just even on the Ugandan scene? Um, uh, for most people, uh, when they think about AI, they think of uh, sophistication. However, uh, AI is basically uh, use of artificial intelligence, which is the definition of AI itself, to simplify and ease work. Okay, and artificial intelligence can take multitudes of forms. For example, um, an algorithm is AI. Okay, and what is an algorithm? An algorithm is a formula that helps you to um, come up with tasks and then perform those tasks. For example, um, Let's give an example of judges, right? Um, especially criminal justice system. You know, judges in our criminal justice system have to sentence someone, okay? So imagine a judge having an algorithm that enables that judge to know how many cases of murder have been decided in Uganda, okay? And what different sentences have the different courts given with regards to a given set of facts. For example, if uh, the murder uh, was with the use of a deadly weapon, let's say panga, and someone cut off someone's head and they died. Okay, so that algorithm will organize for you all the cases in Uganda where the facts include someone cutting off another, another head with a panga, and then show what the different courts have given in terms of sentence. Okay, so that is AI just a simple algorithm. And then an algorithm can take multitudes. It depends on how the person who programs it, programs it. Remember, um, everything computer has to do with a command, okay? 
and then from that command is an input or and an output. Okay, what tech people like to call garbage in, garbage out. So basically what you put in that system is what it produces. So if someone puts into that system all the cases in Uganda where someone has cut off another head and then the same, you're able as a judge to know uh, what the different courts have decided and this helps you in solving the issue of disparity in sentences. Uh, for those who have done criminal procedure, you know, that's, that's our biggest issue in Uganda in terms of criminal procedure. So different courts, especially the high court, give different judgments with regards to sentencing on the same set of facts or similar set of facts. Now, with an algorithm, as a judge, you're able to know what each court in Uganda okay, has decided with regards to a set of facts that is similar to the ones you're facing. And that is a plain language use of AI. Another plain language use of AI can be in form of us lawyers or law students, for example, heading for uh, an exam. Okay, with an algorithm, let's say the topic you're reading about is let's say basic structure doctrine. So, with an algorithm, you're able to get all the decisions in the world that have been decided on the basic structure doctrine. So, an algorithm, in simple terms acts as a filter, okay? And that filter brings you the content that you want, depending on the command that you're fed into the algorithm. So that is basic plain language use of AI. And this is mainly in practice used um, in areas to do with contract review or what in the US they call document review. So if you're reviewing a contract and uh, you want to see the gaps in that contract, okay? whether the contract lacks a force majeure clause, whether the contract lacks a dispute resolution clause, whether the contract has um, terms that are not friendly to your client. So what you do, you just get that contract, okay, put it in an algorithm, and that algorithm is able to filter out all the problematic clauses in that contract, and then give you recommendation based on what you've done before. So if this contract doesn't match a blueprint that you have, already put in the system, then the algorithm will flag the different clauses in that contract that don't match your blueprint. Okay, so that is basic use of AI. And I don't want people to look at AI as something fixed, okay? I want you to look at it as something that is simple and that can be applied in normal day-to-day -day life. Let's give an example of a mother, okay, who is breastfeeding. And that mother would like to know what kind of formula um, is available in the market for their child to act as an alternative to breast milk. So once you put um, your child's age, um, your child's, um, let's say, allergies and the likes, that algorithm is able to bring you a particular formula of milk that is applicable your child, depending on your child's age and your child's other special circumstances. So AI isn't restricted to complicated things or complicated tasks. AI can be used in a multitude of things and to do so many simple things. Let's give an example of the system that the government of Ghana wants to implement with regards to tracking all cars. Okay. If that system is put in place, okay, and it has the kind of algorithm I think it's going to have, 
that system will be able to track the movement of each and every individual that the government wants to track, depending on what the government puts in that system. Let's say the government looks at your habits, okay? That your normal travel from home to work involves uh, you branching off to Acacia Mall to buy a movie, then go here, okay? Now imagine um, another person's normal travel is from home, he goes to, let's say, a mosque, then from that mosque, he goes to work, then he goes back to the mosque in the evening, then he goes back to the mosque on the weekend. And the government believes that someone who frequents the mosque may be problematic. So the government is able to track each and every Ugandan, okay, who frequents the mosque. And they're able to know, okay, these are our, this is our pool of suspects that we believe are problematic. Now, that is how AI works. And AI ideally cannot function without input. And then AI's output depends on the kind of input that you put in. There's a recent thing uh, that was on Twitter recently about when you ask AI to show them a white robe. You know what AI showed them? Showed them a black man wearing white clothes and a white ski mask. Because the person who programmed at AI, okay, had that kind of bias. But according to him, only black people are criminals and the hands of black. So there's no way the AI could bring, when they asked AI to bring a picture of a white robber, they brought a picture of a black man wearing white clothes and a white ski mask. That's what AI knew as a white man with a bank robe. So that is how AI functions. And of course, um, the ones and zeros and the binary and the other things are basically too technical. But I, I want people to understand it in form of simple terms that there is a command. That command is input in AI, and then AI produces an output based on that specific command that you've given it. Um, thank you very much, Barif. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Konde. Um, from what Konde is sharing, we are. I've picked about uh, uh, five things um, or five ways in which AI is manifesting in the legal sector. One, he says legal research um, in terms of just getting information. Um, he talks about e-discovery and, and that's how, how he explains the algorithm and how that can, can sift through massive volumes of electronic documents. Um, third, he talks about the analytics and uh, the legal, the predictive legal analytics that to be specific in terms of we can be able to know um, or to track activity and things like that. Um, he talks about due diligence and how um, it can help to, you know, get cases that have similar information and be able to uh, help in prediction of judgment, but also just compliance and risk management. So uh, broadly, uh, I summarily that 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 is a summary of how AI is manifesting in the legal sector. I don't know if then we can call our uh, much-visited Yuli um, AI, but just to get to Asaf, um, help us understand how the law student is being prepared specifically for for this field that now we can't run away. Like we we have to be students that are whose knowledge is above word documents, right? 
so asaf um as a, as you know as a law president and and i know that as a, a law society president you are um privileged to do some sort of advocacy in one way or, or the other how do you think law students are being prepared and if they are not being prepared by the syllabus um you know what can they do uh them as law students to be prepared for this kind of revolution uh thank you so much uh thank you so much once again the myself um so to answer the question really how uh, law students are preparing how are they prepared to face uh this generation that is full of technology uh that record actually take evolution now i so believe that uh right now students are not prepared so much most especially law students because if you look at electives the electives offer in year four we have cyber of course it's about cyber uh, uh cyber cyber security data security but it's don't more about ai however I've, uh, i and some of the colleagues at campus we have uh, formed a group and we have applied for these online courses about ai and actually uh, some people have uh, opted for short courses and others have opted for long courses and those who opted for short courses have been benefited from studying AI actually online, and I feel the best way to prepare students for this generation that is going actually to be by AI, and that is the worry for most of us. Yeah, most of us are worried that actually, if AI develops at this high speed, what shall we do? Because actually, what if they come up with robots that can represent clients in court? Really, what shall we do? How can a human versus a robot in court? However. I feel it, it will be so significant and important for you now, now like you see you Makerele and uh, the chat that you should uh, on their course units to add on some things. I think they can coordinate with the National Council of uh, I Education and they are sharing courses, a course about AI. Actually, there, is, there are some contention on popular AI. Uh, uh who owns the information given by ai for example if i log in uh i'll give an example of one of the ai tools that we use nowadays the native pre trained uh, transmit that is the chatgpt by open ai now i have an account and if my friend i saw a uh, john mary in attendance oh mr drake douglas also has an account and we log in i mean and we feed in the same information and it gives us like it gives me same information like the one you give the that information who is the original author for that information and who shall have copyright for that information that's why i limit fit that universities should uh work hand in hand with the survey education and they usher in course about law and ai how uh, how should students really perceive ai in their profession we are seeing that the ushering in of such a course which shall equip students with knowledge about ai and the laws so that if they get out after their degree they can be able to move on with a train evolution to move on with a uh, law with a legal profession that is equipped with artificial intelligence because uh, i was reading a article yesterday night that's why i saw that uh, this author wrote something that ai should not displace people from their jobs but those with knowledge about how to use ai 
in their working places. We will displace those. But no, what is it? Now, that's why I deem it fit that universities should bring in such course units. National Council should also deem it fit and consider that actually students need this knowledge. However, we have uh, taken it at, at our own floor to study these courses online, and we have gained a lot actually. Uh, being taught how AI is used and yeah, we can use it effectively that we can gain it. And actually, I'll give an example that uh, we are lucky that we did research methods when AI was in place. The, I, I don't think that, actually, I'll tell you that I think that majority of the people used AI, majority of the colleagues used the AI to organize these, uh, these research proposals. That was how AI is sourcing the equipment. And, and if it's ushered in as a course university, really, I mean, as a course unit at university, really, many people shall gain and, uh, yeah, they'll be prepared for the future. But as it stands now, people are not prepared because they will encourage people, even though I encourage the colleagues that, you know, it's an opportunity here. You, you register so that you can take up this AI course. A person shall ask you, how am I going to benefit from this? You get people still ignorant about AI courses. I think they are not... So far, so they cannot see it that actually it's going to come. And they are just seeing on uh, what's the data. But yeah, they are not so prepared. Those students right now are not so prepared because they haven't taken up these opportunities to learn how AI is being used and how they can usher it in their course that they are doing. But if university takes up that initiative, really, it will be a good thing and it will prepare those students for logo practice in association with AI. Thank you so much, Madam Biru. Thank you. Thank you so much, Asa, for that insight. Um, um, sorry, I hear an echo. Could you mute? Okay. Um, I, one of the key things I pick from you is is the fear that, you know, what will happen when robots start representing clients? And I just want to go back to uh, Barry. Um, we recognize all these beautiful things that come with AI, but what are some of the challenges that uh, you think we are going to experience uh, just in terms of um, even equipping ourselves, but even when we fully embrace AI, what are some of the challenges? And um, from those challenges, what are some of the solutions that you think uh, would be suitable uh, to tackle the, the, the challenges that might come with AI and, and legal practice. All right. Um, as with many technologies that have come over time, there is always a cycle of hype and uh, inflated expectations and these expectations sometimes are short-term, others are long-term. I think what the challenge is, is identifying what implications are going to be immediate and what implications are in the long-term, in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And the same goes with AI. So the challenge right now that we are facing is I cannot even begin to imagine the potential, the maximum potential of artificial intelligence in the legal profession or in any other sector in future. Right now, what we're seeing is just the initial stage of development of artificial intelligence. So every other thing that we've already seen happening 
the automations happening, the generative AI tools like ChatGPT and the rest, um, the legal research aid tools, the algorithms, the big data, and everything that is happening in the tech space, especially in the artificial intelligence sector, is just the beginning. So in case there is any challenge we can point out right now, that challenge is definitely going to double or even quadruple in the next few years. So what we what we are facing at the moment, right now in the initial stage of artificial intelligence, is how do we is the flexibility? How do we incorporate these tools and systems in our traditional way of doing work? And I think if you take a very conservative and traditional approach to doing work in these times, one of the biggest challenges you're going to face is the efficiency rates. Because I think this is the biggest plus that we get from artificial intelligence, that it helps to eliminate many of the routine tasks in legal practice, things like researching, um, things like drafting the same documents, like for example, you want to draft a non-disclosure agreement, or you want to draft um, some contract, basic terms really, some things are routine, some tasks are routine, and these things can be automated. You don't have to go over them the, the same time you spend hours and hours drafting the same document that can be generated by an artificial intelligence tool in a matter of minutes. So if you do not incorporate these systems in your work, then you're likely to face that challenge of, of work efficiency. Uh, so the advantage that comes with artificial intelligence is that lawyers are going to have more time to focus on things that require creative thinking. And unlike um, Sabrina, who expressed her concerns about the possibility of AI replacing lawyers and in the near future replacing other people in different professions, I'm more optimistic about the potential of artificial intelligence, especially in the legal profession. And I'm optimistic because I think the greatest skills of any lawyer, anyone in the legal profession, they are not ones that can easily be replaced by artificial intelligence. Things like communication, things like human interaction, things like creative thinking, and um, basic common sense things, the, the artificial intelligence might be able to perform some tasks, it might be able to generate a few documents, but it lacks the basics that really make a lawyer phenomenal, like the emotional understanding, the emotional intelligence, to know that this strategy may not work here, I need to handle this client this way based on the state of emotions, I need to apply um, a different thinking strategy to be able to overcome this challenge here, I need to communicate this way to be able to persuade the person I'm pitching to that I'm a potential candidate to solve their problem. Or even the basic human interaction to give feedback about the tasks, the progress and things like that. So in the short term right now, I'm very optimistic that AI will only make the lawyers work much more easier than replacing them. So again, back to the challenges. I cannot exhaust what challenges AI might pose to this profession, but I think it has more opportunities than challenges.
at hand. Like, for example, artificial intelligence is going to create new legal issues for lawyers. There are now some legal practitioners who have channeled their practice to tech, to AI, and other innovations. We're already having uh, copyright issues. I don't know how many of you heard about the AI-generated song between, um, it was a collab between Drake and The Weeknd. And the song had very many views on YouTube, but when these guys were asked and interviewed about the release, they're like, someone we've not released any new song recently. So there was someone behind an artificial intelligence tool that decided to use these voices and they created a whole new song. So artificial intelligence is creating a whole wide range of legal opportunities, legal challenges that lawyers who are best placed can take on. And that is just in uh, intellectual property. There are going to be many more when we start using more automated devices or automated cars. Uh, these days, many things are going to be automated. So where do you place the liability in the instance where such an automated device or machine has caused some kind of damage? And you have to be really aware and well read about the basics of artificial intelligence. If you shun it and think it's a trend or it's a passing fad, like um, what other innovations have been termed as, then the challenge is that you're likely to maintain a traditional approach, but still you're likely to have less efficiency in work. So even when you cannot, like I said earlier, the legal profession doesn't really prepare us so well, at least mm -hmm. the one that I had, I, the legal education I, I acquired didn't really prepare us for the world of technology. How do we get to incorporate or embed technology in our different legal activities? So the people who get to understand these technological advancements at a higher level to see how they can position themselves. One, they are at an advantage because they get to create more avenues for themselves in terms of career, in terms of opportunities. But then even when you do not make that your niche of practice or area of work and you incorporate it to just perform the mundane tasks, you increase the efficiency. I think your work rate is going to be high. I say this for fact because I, I, I use different AI tools on a daily to perform certain tasks, coming up with a few documents. And uh, there is a, a recent tool that I discovered, very interesting. It does analysis for, it does analysis of an entire document in the shortest time possible. You upload a document, then you ask different questions about that document. If, for example, I upload a whole case, it's about 155 pages, I'll ask that AI tool, who are the parties in this case? It will answer. Then I'll ask, who are the judges? It will answer. What were the facts? It will answer, very briefly. Then I'll, I'll ask again, what were the issues? How was each issue resolved? And it will keep answering in accordance with the entire text that I uploaded. So. Such things, if, you, if you're going to dedicate, um, if you're going to apply 
conservative or traditional way of doing things and you have to read the same case that I'm using a few titles to read. By the time you finish, I'm probably done with writing the legal opinion and memorandum and I'm on the next thing. So the work efficiency is going to be high. And I think that is the lawyer's dream to be efficient and solve the problems and the challenges that are before you. So again, I'm more optimistic about the potential that artificial intelligence has in the legal profession. I think it creates a whole wide range of opportunities for lawyers. And we are at an advantage that these things are happening at a time when we are also evolving in our career. I don't think people have been practicing law for the last 15, 20 years or 30 can even have this discussion about the potential of artificial intelligence in the legal practice. So it, it might be out of their hand. They can't easily learn these new tricks, but for people who are at turning points in their legal careers, then we are better placed to acquire these new skills to advance our careers and also increase our efficiency. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barry. What I hear from Barry is efficiency. For most, uh, for, for most of his conversation is how AI is going to increase the efficiency of the lawyer and uh, which is every lawyer's dream so that it allows us to focus on the more on the parts that need us to be more creative. And and just like Barry, um, I use AI almost everywhere. And I don't know if it's the same tool that he was talking about, but I also discovered this tool called Chat PDF. I had to pay for a premium account because listen, that thing will answer a 500 document page document and you ask it questions and it will give you the answers it will give you the analysis it will give you the brief facts like you wouldn't have to go through the entire book or or you know that document looking for a specific thing and it was it, it's been so useful i discovered it you know um last semester and it's been so useful to me so i don't know if if, if you're talking about the same tool but chat chat pdf has really done like it has really eased my work because you know we do a lot of reading and 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 just in terms of that um I, you know some of these tools are not specifically tied to the legal sector but you find that you can tweak it uh, to do for you a legal role for example that particular tool um that you know analyzes documents can analyze pretty much any document, right? So you discover that some of these tools are not specifically tied to the legal sector. And the question I want to ask Sabrina, and I hope that she can integrate some of the knowledge that she got from attending the Future, um, future Lawyers Week. Um, what are some of these skills outside of law school, outside of this legal degree? Um, what what are some of those skills outside the classroom, Sabrina, that you think that the listeners on here should have and, and you know, that don't even require us to pay a lot of money? Um, just learning how to use, you know, collaborative tools and things like that, because how many of our listeners here just on this particular uh, space? understand the entire google suit i know it's quite you know large but it, it's it's also a thing i've tried to teach myself so sabrina what are some of those skills that you know don't require you know paying a lot of money but we need them as as students or as young lawyers um that are going to prepare us to adopt to this ai um thank you very much uh prima awesome moderator uh, but before i get into the question i'm going to first do a little bit of some crying 
yeah um we are here talking about the benefits of ai and you know getting uh into the depth of the challenges and all that uh which i think is actually a very good thing uh, i mean talking about uh automation talking about efficiency talking about more productivity things we all definitely want to celebrate but i have a challenge with us actually having like staying sort of like on this uh conversation on that angle when we are looking at a country like Uganda yeah uh if we look at a country like Uganda i think one of like the major questions we should be asking ourselves is are we even ready to like you know receive all this beauty that our bari is talking about nasa is talking about do we even have like our hands wide open to like receive such kind of beauty yeah uh, so one thing i believe is that uh the rise of ai and how it can you know help uh the future of legal practice lies on so many other sectors and so many other factors that if we ignore them we are definitely lying ourselves yeah and i feel see one of the interlinkages to ai that has been brought up uh is definitely education being able to skill the future lawyers uh to be able to you know resonate with these uh tools understand how they work yes very nice something i'm very passionate about but prima we also ignore the digital infrastructure of a country like uganda yeah we ignore the fact that we still have a uh, a digital divide very huge problems here we ignore the fact that uh even these lawyers themselves they are the ones fighting you know the rise of technology they are the ones fighting uh, ai because they are still very conservative they are still very traditional and the system is not doing so much to like change this i don't want to give it the praise it doesn't have <laughs> well we have individuals like barry who are doing their best and and trust me individuals who are very good with ai and artificial intelligence these are people who are doing it on their own if you ask barry right now what he knows i could bet my arm on it he didn't learn it from like school from class from anywhere or even prima the things we've been doing outside class yeah and that's only like two of us so even 2% of like the many low students that are out there yeah and then also artificial intelligence we are sort of like you know it comes like with products that can't be you know uh, accessed by the majority and all that we are talking about things like you know uh uh people in like marginalized areas do they have like access to internet do they have access to electricity so i think this infrastructure it's being developed also contributes a lot more to the success of this ai in the legal industry prima and i are very passionate about tech law yeah but then every time i'm even scared whether i'm ever going to practice it because in like uganda like i recently i was doing a research on consumer protection uh for digital platforms but if you to notice our technology that is being our technology products that are mostly doing e-commerce are whatsapp instagram social media and it's like very problematic to like you know look at like the future of ai yeah so i think uh for us to actually benefit from it 
we should just not talk about the benefits and its possibilities and impossibilities, but also look at other factors that contribute to its success, like education, infrastructure, look at like the different dynamics that, you know, operate to it. But then also to get uh, into uh, Prima's question, uh, one thing that also makes me sad is how the legal sector is actually very conservative. Uh, we only have like one line of thought, yeah? Go in law school, be a lawyer. That's all we have. But we are so many. And the truth is that we all can't like, you know, go in courts and litigate and all that. So I don't know at what point we are definitely going to start having like an open mind something like uh you know legal uh innovation strategizing yeah you may not go to court but can you understand these products these tech products how they operate the processes they follow and maybe that's you that's where you're an expert and you're giving advice to the people who are going to like you know court uh in case like uh something faulty happens you understand the processes of maybe uh i i don't know maybe maybe safe border let me say something that we all like know here but then the challenge is that lawyers themselves don't know a thing about these things so for me i would advocate also bridging the gap between the 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 public sector in the sense of like education with the private sectors? Can the lawyers get into like these industries? Because we are seeing that technology and AI is advancing at a very high rate. Yet for the lawyers, we are still very comfortable in our spaces, yeah? So can we now get into, maybe even internships, do we necessarily have to go to like a law firm or a court for internship? No, you could even choose, we could make it like more, open to go to like companies like Safe Border, go to Jumia, go to Glovo, go work at the Innovation Village or Outbox or Refactory. And it is from there that you get to learn about these tech skills that they are talking about. It's from these spaces that you get to learn about these tools that you will never learn about in law school. Yeah. So I don't know if uh, that contributes anything or if I was crying a lot. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I really think that we, we definitely need to like work on that and sort of like leave our comfort boxes because it's not like to we are we don't have that privilege. A country like Uganda doesn't have that privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Um I hear infrastructure. I hear people doing business on WhatsApp and Instagram. These are, in fact, when you talk about e-commerce in this country, you really um, hear Twitter, Instagram. And so we, we um, I really understand that um, our infrastructure is not yet developed as, as such, but we are moving anyways, right? We are, we've embraced what we have and we've, we've given it the fancy name of, you know, being e-commerce and all that. And which brings me to the next segment of the of of uh, this panel, and I, we are about to wrap up, I think. Um, but just to engage NASA, knowing that we are working in a system that has such broken infrastructure, as Sabrina points out, um, we are moving now into a conversation of data protection and privacy because now you understand how quickly we give away our information, you know. And, and 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 it's become so common now that you receive 
messages of people telling you um you know you are you are i think eligible for a loan or something like that um and and because we know that now the saying is data is the new oil our data is floating around everywhere um even with the people we trade with because as sabrina just pointed out our business on our business is online so that means if i want to buy from an instagram account i'm going to give my contact right i'm going to give um, certain information about myself and so how is um our society especially uganda taking into uh consideration that we have a data protection and privacy act how does our data landscape look like in terms of uh, of of privacy in terms of protection but also just in terms of this revolution of ai and legal practice uh konde over to you Did Conde get the question? Or oh, can I be heard? Uh, that could be a problem as well. Yes, you can be heard. Was a question I asked, um, was it hard? It was hard, but I think you can repeat. I, I don't know if NASA is on the call. I see he's trying to connect, uh, probably just as a network glitch. The, the question was specifically for him. So um, because I know he's very passionate about that, he's coached a couple of moots um, that are in terms of tech law and privacy. So the question was very specific for him. So if we are not able to get him to answer that, I'll just move to Asaf, but I'll give him a different question. Um, Asaf, we are still within the segment of data protection and 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 privacy. And I want and I want us to take into consideration the kind of community we are working with. How do we make um how do we help communities understand the importance of their data, right? Um, Asaf, if you can hear us. Do you, do, do you uh, first of all, you as yourself understand data? Do you understand the importance of your own data? And, and if you do, how do we make that easy um, for everyone to, to, you know, to understand so that they are more careful when they give away this information? Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I'm audible enough. Am I audible, please? Yes, 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 sure yes. you are. Yeah, how do we sensitize the community where we are from about uh, the importance of their data? Yes, you are right. And it's a nice question because actually with the uh, high levels of development, technological development, the data has been actually, uh, I think, uh, stolen from people, that's the term I may use. There are some links of recently sent on Twitter that uh, please to continue to tap this link. And uh, there have been warnings. If you tap that link, there is somewhere they give a warning that if you would like to proceed, have it in mind that your personal data may be stolen. We talked about uh, uh, the loan things where they send a message that you are eligible 
that before you initiating for that loan, you have to put in your personal data. Now, the question comes, how do we sensitize the community about the importance of their data? Actually, we should, I feel that uh, uh, we, the lawyers or the upcoming lawyers, the upcoming lawyers in the profession, we really have a lot to do when it comes to this field and sector of data protection and sensitization of the people about their uh, data. Because actually, a person is data, is his identity. If a person is data is taken from them, many things can be used. Uh, many things can be used and in one way or another, a person can be blackmailed. I think uh, uh, as lawyers, most especially I'm going to base on us, the law students, at, uh, most especially in my campus, the Uganda Christian University. Yeah, I'm glad to see Kaila, their president, Makerel Society in, in presence. Now, I so believe that if we can, as law students, we get a day. If we go, sometimes we make outreaches, we go to Kaoga prisons and we educate people about their rights, the right to bail. But now, if we can make more outreaches about uh, data protection, we go, we can decide to go about, to go anywhere, most especially busy places like markets, and we really teach people about uh, their data, how important, how important is their data, how can their data be misused if it is just let go like that. And I so believe that uh, this will open up their their minds and uh, they understand actually how important their data is. They get to know that actually you don't just initiate in something because you really want alone. They have told you are eligible, so you just log in. I believe that sensitization is key, but how to sensitize? You know, there is sensitization and effective sensitization. How to do it effectively is still a question. And actually, I'm able to answer how effectively to sensitize people because sometimes when we go out uh, for outreaches for sensitization, most especially of going to prisons to teach people about their right to bail, but some of them think, like seem not to matter and cannot really force someone to give you attention. But I so believe that. Uh, as law students in different universities, for example, I mean, you see you, Mr. Kaira, the speaker elect you, sir, is that Makerere, I have Mr. Remy here, sir, you see you, and many others. We can decide to get there, to go to some places and really teach people about uh, the, the importance of their data. We can come up with write-ups, we can come up with articles, journals about data protection, and we really upload them on our different websites. For example, you see you have the UCU Law Society platform where we always do upload things. So if we really upload that information so that a random person reads through it, they can get to know how important is data protection, how important a personal like personal data is, because actually personal data is personal identity. And then um, we can even liaise with different uh, stations, the TV stations, because we are sometimes we are hosted on TV. For, uh, for different topics, but if we can liaise with them sometimes and we are invited purposely to teach people about importance of their data and uh, so on, really, we can help a lot of people and uh, yeah, people shall need to understand the importance of their data and data protection at large. Thank you so much. Uh, th thank you so much. Uh, I think Konde is back and, and he's able to hear us. Uh, could you just confirm, Konde, if if you got the question or if I should repeat that for you?
Okay, as we wait for him to sort that out. Barry, uh, Barry, I just request you to make a comment on, uh, and we are still talking about privacy. And oh, okay, Konde is here. Uh, please, I, I, I didn't get that. So I didn't get sorry uh we are so sorry about that um we'll be able to remedy in on any uh part of the conversation that he's able to join i think he'll he'll be able to answer but um we are still talking about professional Sorry, but we can't hear you. There is a squeaking sound coming through. But can uh, I be heard? Yeah, the host's microphone has to be muted. The noise is coming from their end. If they oh, can so hear. Sorry. Yeah. Tim, I had your question, and uh, I was still explaining that. What I wanted you to speak on is different. So I, I had your question, and uh, I think it's in regards to how the different data protection laws are able to protect and uh, carry out the function that they're meant to do. Okay, uh, Barry, you can answer that. Then I'll just push the other question to Sabrina. It's it's all right. Please go ahead. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to hear the question. That's the time when the sounds were coming through. Could you please repeat? The, the question, okay, let me just ask you the question I wanted to ask you. And it's about, we are still talking about protection and privacy. And we know that for a fact that the... Um, the arguments we sign online are very lengthy. Those terms and conditions that we are given, for example, when we are downloading apps or we are getting into certain websites and all these things. And mind you, we are working in a community that, that is not always, uh, in fact, in a generation that does not like to read. How do we break down these um, these things? Uh, do, do you even know a tool that, for example, can help someone to quickly skim through uh, skip through terms and conditions and be able to, you know, because people are signing things they don't understand. They're giving away their information and they don't understand the impact of that. And then maybe later when it, it, it you know, they're getting messages or they're being called or something like that, then they start to complain, right? So um, how can we 
deal with this challenge of these very lengthy things that we find online that we must read to be able to, you know, get into apps or websites, you know? Okay. Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, because, okay, one thing that we need to highlight is that the people who are into the data extraction or who get to handle different um, data from different users or consumers of their products, they take effort to make sure that they inform you about the different ways in which they'll be using the data, the purpose of their data collection. And when you follow the provisions of the, for example, the Data Protection and Privacy Act that was uh, recently enacted here in Uganda, then you, you see that that is one of the things that was targeted that for any person who is collecting data from anyone, any user or consumer of their product, that person owes you a duty to tell you, inform you about the purpose for which they are collecting that data. So the question about what do we do for the lengthy terms and conditions and everything, I do not think would the portion blame on their end. We would actually take the blame for ignoring the terms and conditions of the different applications or any other products that we're using. Like for example, there are some applications where people sign up and then they get access to the entire call log and their contacts and they send them unsolicited messages. And then people then file complaints with the data protection office or NITA for the violation of their privacy. But initially, we are the ones who did not follow the guidelines or did not fully understand what we're signing up for. The same thing happens when, when we're accepting cookies cookies on websites. I, I don't know if there is if there is anyone, then there must be very few people who take time to know if you are accepting cookies on a website, what exactly are you signing up for? So I, I do not know any AI tool that can easily summarize these things, unfortunately. But I think what can be done to remedy this is uh, maybe if there is like a must-watch video for these terms and conditions for just a few seconds that can help you understand before you get to use different products so that you cut off the time that people would have spent reading through and scrolling down and reading more of those lengthy and sometimes very technical technologies. So this can be simplified in various ways. Because not everyone, I'd actually raised this concern some time back about the expectation that every person who is going to use that product or application, one, has the ability to read and comprehend whatever it is that they are providing for. But secondly, that they are all able to understand the impact of that message or the terms and conditions. So I think the unfortunate bit is the uh, the presumption that everyone who's going to use a different online product fully understands and is capable of comprehending those terms and conditions and how their data is going to be used. So what can is that is um, we can have a video form of communication, um, availability of options to translate these messages so that the person gets to understand if I'm not well versed to the English language, 
I can opt to get the message in French, in Swahili, in any other local language that I prefer. Or if the message is very lengthy, like it often is on different uh, online products, then there can be a must-watch video that briefly illustrates what that company or that data collector is going to be using your data for and what exactly you're authorizing them to do. And in case it happens, then you have no recourse and you can't say uh, you didn't get to understand what it is you're signing up for. So those are some of the possible solutions I could think about that can remedy that data evasion and invasion of privacy. But uh, preliminary, I don't think as for now, there is so much blame we can apportion to those, uh, the, the, the business people, the techpreneurs, as they take effort, at least as required by law, to inform us about the, what they are up to with their data. But I think it can be done much better. The entire process can be simplified if their aim is really to make sure that we consent and we, and we get to understand what they're using the data for. Because sometimes they could be riding on people's ignorance and the lack of desire to read and understand the terms and conditions. So if the, really the purpose is to let the users understand the extent of their data usage, then they can utilize various options like translating the information or any other models. I hope I've answered the question. Very much so. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Barry. Um, with just with what Barry just discussed, you see that there could arise challenges of, of you know, data breach and all that. So, what I want to ask Sabrina is, what are the opportunities that you think are available in this particular field, and and for whatever Sabrina will say, I'll ask Konde uh, to supplement, to just expand on the opportunities that are available for for people, for for lawyers to look out for. Um, in terms of, of AI and legal practice. Sabrina, over to you. Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Prima, uh, once again. Uh, for me, well, uh, one thing that I definitely see an, as an opportunity for artificial intelligence is... Uh, uh, new job opportunities, that's number one, yeah. Uh, I've already shared how it's very unfortunate that we are all uh, taken, uh, made to go through law school uh, for four or five years or so, and uh, we are all shown the same direction. We are all shown that, yes, you're all going to be lawyers, which is not true. <laughs> Because at some point, they even eliminate us, even when we have good grades. And we all know that we can't have all the students that go into law school to be litigants, to be advocates. It's just not true. So for me, I think AI in the legal sector provides new job opportunities and valuable ones. I've already shown legal tech operations. I've already shown uh, being a strategist in the legal tech industry. That means you understand artificial intelligence. You understand how these tech products operate, their processes, everything you have it at your fingertips, yeah? Meaning the lawyers would definitely like to go like to court. They could definitely come to you. 
if say for example um uh recently i got a uh, uh, a chance to visit one of the largest law firms in the world it's called uh i've forgotten even its name yeah but <laughs> i think i'll share maybe like on the comment section and uh they handle like cases for like apple cases for facebook i got a chance to meet some of the top lawyers that work on those particular cases and they were very honest to share that the day they got those cases is the day they regretted why they were lawyers because they did not understand a single thing and this is a lawyer in the united states mind you a lawyer who has worked on like top cases a lawyer who is working on a very competent like law firm and they are struggling so now imagine us yeah so what they did is that they had to like pay a lot of like money eh? to like people outside who would help them like take them through the technicalities of the processes for Apple and the other company that was suing Apple yeah and those could be our job opportunities yeah if we like you know embrace these things and look at it like it's valuable for us and 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 all that and then also i look at another opportunity like compliance and regulatory management uh, ai could definitely help lawyers and uh, businesses to stay up to date with the ever changing regulations and compliance requirements uh, which at the end of the day ensures adherence to the latest legal standards yeah and uh, definitely also that takes us to intellectual property i don't know if we talked about uh, ai technologies will definitely help us to analyze more the databases of intellectual property records and all these helping the lawyers with uh, patent searches and infringement analysis uh, which if we don't uh, you know like embrace ai or something it would be very hard for us to like tap into these things so that means now we have like a bigger table to like scoop scoop from than before when we are all looking at this one small cup that is already not big enough for what for us and then there's going to be need for a lot of research yeah recently i did the research on consumer protection i'm very proud of it and i can see myself you know do something big with it because it like you know research like in these fields that are not uh, very common just educates you on like so many levels it educates you on so many gaps some of the things look okay but when they are actually really really bad and if you're like an innovator cuz you can also be a legal tech innovator yeah uh work with hubs like the legal tech lab come up with you know solutions or even if you are not exactly a developer but at least the fact that you already have a legal background i think and i believe that you are more more understanding of what's needed to like solve some of these problems that affect the legal industry and um uh uh Barry has already shown you uh, the same way NASA did that AI is not as powerful that wasn't their word but that's my word <laughs> yeah it's not as powerful as we tend to like make it look yeah we are still superior to it because it works on our input what we feed with it it's what it puts out yeah so that means that uh, this gives a chance to like you know lawyers being one of like you know i don't know maybe tech legal tech like writers yeah 
write some of like these scripts that these tools make use of, yeah? I don't know whatsoever. Be part of like the teams that instruct these these are AI tools to operate and all those could be like job opportunities. And then I, I also look at alternative dispute resolution being bigger than it is now. The fact that our technology, artificial intelligence is rising at a very high rate, that comes with so many conflicts, conflicts that are not going to go in court every single time because we can't manage uh, to like, you know, push everything to court just because, you know, you, ha- you are having a disagreement with someone. So that means at some point, ADR is going to be big. It's going to have a lot of market. It's going to have uh, a lot of demand, a very high demand in regards of consumer protection. I'm looking at like these, these, these services that operate on social media. If we have consumer protection for these like small businesses that operate uh, on like small scale that don't get to like, you know, go into like uh, formal court processes, that means we are opening doors for so many lawyers who don't get a chance to like, you know, fairly compete with everyone to also get away of earning money. Maybe they can divert to ADR. Yeah, so those are some of the things that I definitely look at. I'm seeing Daniel, Nasa, hi, and Kingdom. These are very good friends of mine in the tech industry. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, over to you, Prima. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sabrina. That is very, very insightful. And I just want Konde to pick from that and expand because he has a particular background in, in, in tech and and then a separate degree in law. So, Konde, if you could just expand for us the available opportunities that people could think about on this space and how rich it is that young people should get involved in understanding tech, in understanding AI and legal practice. Hello. Um, what I think young people need to do is that they need to be very intentional. Okay. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have this background, but I was never intentional to have them. Like I didn't intention to have both the backgrounds. It just happened that um, I have the kind of parents that I have who kind of pushed me to do different things when I ended up being lucky. So there are those people who don't have. Uh, that kind of, let's say, privilege or luck, and they're unable to get those opportunities. I get it. However, we need to create uh, more spaces where students are able to become what they want to become. For example, there are less than 10 people in Uganda with the kind of qualification that I have. Less than 10. Okay? And out of those less than 10, I'm the only one who is specializing in this area. The others have abandoned the IT part and gone into law. Okay, you find out with both an IT degree and a law degree, but he's specializing in land transactions because he wants to beat the deal. Okay, so that's another problem that we have. Like, you can do the law degree, finish it, and go back to school and do an IT degree. Nothing can stop you. Because me, I did the IT degree first, for three years, and I came back to school and I did four years. And most people are looking at me like someone who's doing it, right? Or five. I have that mindset of five. But the world today has changed. 
you go to go to US and you're going to find a lawyer who has a bachelor of commerce degree, who has ACCA, and he has a law degree. You can never match that lawyer in tax law if you only have a law degree. You can never be a better tax lawyer than that person because he has BCOM, he has ACCA, and he has law. You can't touch him in tax law. Okay, so that's what we need to do. And yes, education is expensive. Most people are going to say that, you know, avoided hustle to get the first degree, probably with government sponsorship. Okay, now how do you expect me to get a second with my own money? But the world we are living in today is very complicated. And for you to stand out, um, you must be unique. Okay, and another thing is that some people may not be able to get the two degrees. But there are things you can do, okay? For example, I always tell people that I train in Teclo Moot that a Teclo Moot can give you so much about Teclo than even a classroom, okay? So if you're doing a Moot on, let's say, a given issue in data protection and privacy, you're able to appreciate data protection and privacy better than someone who goes to class to do data protection and privacy. Because you're doing both the theory and you're applying the theory to a real life problem. So, mooting is another opportunity that can give people that extra aid. Um, other universities and other places do what they call master classes, okay, where they get a specialist in that given area and talk to students in that area. You don't have that. And I believe that. Uh, that is something that those schools should explore. I'm seeing Mr. Asaf Eli here. That is something that you know, the leaders in those schools should push for. Okay, have a masterclass at your law school. Bring experts in legal tech. Let them talk to your students. Let them equip them. And I know very many people um, in Africa don't want to share what they know because they want to be on top alone. Okay, but there are people out there who want to share what they know. Okay, and they are willing. They just need to be called upon. Okay, you just need to be look for those people. Okay, another aspect uh, you can think about is that um, as law school and as law students, okay, there are things you can learn on your Okay, the opportunities you can get on your own. And I believe uh, the only thing I did in tech law in law school was my course in computer and law. But I was able to marry the two fields on my own and be creative and create a niche. Okay. Um, there are people who have written about this area. I'm one of those people who have, who have written. For example, today, um, my paper on surveillance and, and privacy was published, and I'll share it with, uh, with you, um, Prima, and you can give it to for students and I have other papers in this area, especially in legal tech. So look for those papers, read them. Okay. The social media. That's another tool that people use. Okay. Social media is a very important tool. You're able to interact with tech specialists across the world. Okay. By just a simple follow. Okay. You follow someone, you engage them. Okay. If they give you a chance, you DM them, you share ideas. Okay. But however, when you when you're approaching these people, okay, 
don't approach them with a sense of entitlement. Okay? Approach them with a sense of willing to know. And they will share what they know. Those who are good people will share. And they may be two good people ten. Okay? But don't look at the eight. Look at the two who are willing to share what they know. So social media is very, very important. If you're on Twitter, okay, who are you following? Okay, who are you engaging with? And um, I'm one of those people who who loves social media and I love engaging different people from across different groups. So I can tell you I'm one of those people who can share anything I know very willingly and very freely. Now, get those people, engage them. And Techno today is one of those special young people and young lawyers can thrive. Like, this is your thing. Okay, senior counsel cannot know how um, e-commerce and uh, control protection works in e-commerce. You know, I'm doing research on e-commerce in cross-border. I'm doing research story on consumer protection in cross-border e-commerce transactions. Okay, and that area is so technical. Okay, already e-commerce, already consumer protection in Uganda is problematic for most people. It's hard to understand. Now imagine consumer protection in cross-border e-commerce transactions. Okay, transactions between you, Prima, and Amazon. Okay, how can you be protected as a consumer in Uganda who's buying things from Amazon? Okay, now that area is so complicated. But when you look at the principles, okay, someone who has the knowledge of people can easily decide it. Person deciphers those principles and then breaks them down to you. Okay. Even you who doesn't have IT knowledge can be able to appreciate those principles. Okay. And the legal principles don't change when it comes to IT. They don't change. They're the same principles. For example, um, most people tend to think that, you know, in AI, who's responsible? AI or the person that feeds the AI with data, okay? And I always tell people, there's a principle of command responsibility that is in IHL and ICC, okay? Where a commander is responsible for the actions of his subordinates, okay? You can apply that command responsibility principle to AI, okay? And you hold the person who has programmed the AI or who has fed data into the AI responsible for the actions of AI. Okay? Another principle that is very important liability. Okay? Well, we hold an employer liable for the actions of employees. Okay? We can tweak that vicarious liability principle and apply it to AI. Okay? By holding the owner of the AI liable for the actions of the AI. Not the person who programmed the AI or fed data, but the person who owns it. Yeah, for example, we can hold um, Elon Musk responsible for the action or emissions of Tesla cars. Okay, so the principles don't really change. It's just how you apply them to the complex things of AI. Another example I can give you is in regards to what is called multiple apping. Now, multiple apping uh, is mainly used by so many of you, but you may not know it. Um, most of you have various apps. Okay, you have Safe Border, 
you have Sifka, you have Uber, you have uh, an other thing. Now imagine a driver who has skateboarder, who has um, Uber. And on a given day, he can take customers from Safeboarder, then he can take customers from Uber. Okay, now the issue is, is he an employee of Safeboarder and Uber, or is only an employee of one? Okay, and when you look at the Supreme Court decision uh, in uh, Uber v. Asla, okay, the Supreme Court says that for the UK, that you become an employee okay, of Uber when you log on to the Uber platform as a driver. Okay, Uber are saying that these drivers are independent contractors, and the court said no, they are employees because Uber controls the car they use, um, when they pick up people, how much they are paid, and quality control. So in those cases, the employees of Uber. Now imagine someone who, on a given night, picks up customers of Safe Border, then picks up customers of Uber. That person is an employee of both Safe Border and Uber under the multiple apps principle. If when you use multiple apps, okay, you are an independent user of each app, although you're using them multiple times and in sequence. So you become an employee of both Safe Border and Uber under the control test. So the UK Supreme Court in Uber BV versus Asla applied the control test that we know already made concrete to determine that Uber drivers are not independent contractors but they're employees. So the principles are the same. You just have to apply them uniquely, technology and AI. And once you master that, I'm telling you as a young person, okay, in the future you're going to be rich because no one can touch you. I've been talked about lawyers who are representing Apple, but we're finding a hard time, okay, appreciating how Apple works. I remember sometime like three years ago, okay, at my workplace, okay, we had a client um, who had ordered for software from someone, and um, the person uh, claimed that the software he ordered is not what was delivered, okay. But when you went into the contract, and funny thing is, their contract was all seven people. Okay, and the contract, contract price was above million. So, from our principle in section 10, that contract is already void because an oral contract above 70,000 has to be written. Now, that is where that was my first advice to my boss that this is your first chip. Then, the second is that this person ordered for a given software. Okay, let's say um, order for a software that is 2.0. That's one ordered for. Now, after ordering and the software was delivered, uh, a new software came. Um, if you could help us summarize, we are yes. kind of running out of time. Now, as you ordered and got that product, a new product came, 2.0, and you wanted a new product. So you claimed that you had ordered for. 3.0, not 2.0. And you have to go back to the basics of offer and acceptance. Okay? That we offered you this and you accepted it, so you're bound by the transaction. So, in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that uh, skilling ourselves 
as lawyers um, doesn't doesn't mean that we have to be sophisticated. Okay, and for us to appreciate AI and legal tech and all those things, you don't have to be sophisticated because trust me, you don't have the money to become as sophisticated as you want to be. You may not have the knowledge to become as sophisticated as you want to be. So I want us to apply what we know. Okay, what we know to AI and technology and be innovative at it. Then those that are able to skill, please skill. Okay, don't worry about having two degrees. Get this. In the end, you're going to benefit from having no two degrees. Okay, and you're going to stand out and you're going to be a good and successful lawyer. That's what I have to say. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Konde, for that very insightful discussion. What I hear from him is us taking the initiative to teach ourselves. There's a couple of moods that are coming up that could help your students here just to attend and listen in. Some of them actually streamed. The unwanted witness privacy mood is coming up um, this September. The tech law mood is coming up around October. And those are very uh, good avenues from you to learn. I personally did the unwanted witness mood and it was very insightful. Things that I, I don't think I'll ever study in class, but were very. Um, I was able to pick them from there. So uh, we are just going to do, I thought you could have a couple of questions from the audience, but I don't think that's going to be possible. So I'm just going to do a last round of our speakers just giving their closing closing remarks, and then we shall call it an evening. Let's start with Barry, Sabrina, then we shall um, have Nasa, and then we shall have, I don't know if he jumped off the call, Asaf, if he's ever able to join, then he can do um, his last remarks. Uh, over to you, Barry. Thank you, Prima. So my parting shots are that uh, we are better placed than anyone else in this industry. In the entire legal profession, to utilize the different innovations, and we have an upper hand to actually outcompete the people ahead of us. So we shouldn't suffer the same problems they are, considering that tech is simplifying most of the processes and the thing that could be making our work easier and more efficient and productive. So. We already understand that our law schools, with all the legal background and training we're going to have, we're not going, most likely not going to have any institution teaching us about artificial intelligence, teaching us about the blockchain technology and any other innovations coming up. So it takes passion, it takes sacrifice to spare some time and do some personal digging and you get to understand these new innovations coming up and the available legal challenges, how you get to position yourselves to leverage all those opportunities coming up. I think it was Sabrina who mentioned that there are tons of lawyers around who are most likely doing the similar stuff. So if you can take it a notch higher and identify an avenue that makes you the expert that gives you gives you leverage over anyone else in that industry. You keep yourself with knowledge and position yourself. And I think you stand a better chance than competing for the same law opportunities that are available in the traditional legal practice. But I also understand that 
Um, not everyone would want to pursue a career in tech or legal tech. So we can then find ways of incorporating the different artificial intelligence tools, at least to enhance our productivity in the different work that we do. If it's in land law, if it's in corporate and commercial litigation, or whichever it is that you're passionate about, or even if you're more concerned about uh, human rights and social justice, you get to incorporate artificial intelligence tools that can increase efficiency for your work and increase your productivity. But if you're more, if you're more passionate and want to take it a notch further, then the only avenue for you, unfortunately, is to do personal reading. You dedicate time. And you the, the people in the industry have already made some strides. I'm sure they can always guide and show you around. Those are my parting shots. Thank you very much for hosting me. And it was a pleasure. Have a good night. Thank you so much, Barry. Um, what I hear from you is really personal reading. And I would like to have a side conversation with you um, about uh, crypto. That's a topic I'm very much interested in. Um, let's hear from Sabrina and then Conde. And then we shall close with Asaf if he's ever able to join. Sabrina, over to you. Uh, thank you very much. And I would also use it as a chance to ask Barry to add me on her side, side hustle student on crypto, <laughs> just like Prima. Uh, but well, my parting shots are more on the fact that, unlike Barry, who is saying, yeah, we got this, uh, we have everything it takes to like, you know, do well and all that. For me, I would still remind us that we do not have privilege compared to like other countries, compared to other, you know, continents and all that. And that doesn't give us like the privilege to sleep, the privilege to rest and like, you know, the luxury to like, you know, lose any second. Yeah, we still have so many sectors we need to work on for us to like, effectively contribute to the successful rise of AI in the legal industry. I'm just poking Barry. He did a great job, so ignore my first statement. And yeah, I'll con conclude with a toast, yeah, since this is a parting shot, yeah. So if you have a glass next to you, whether it's a glass of water, porridge, water, whatever it is, or it's a bottle or a remote, whatever that you have, just hold it in the air and we make this toast together. Yeah, so as we make this toast to the future of law, the future of technology, as we embrace the power of AI in the legal realm and the rise of artificial intelligence in transforming our practice, unlocking new possibilities, reshaping the way we serve justice, here is a future where our legal minds can work hand in hand creating, you know, opportunities for each person in innovation and justice. So, yes, cheers to the bright horizons of the legal profession, powered by AI. Yes, Tululu, out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sabrina. Thank you, Sabrina. Um, I had ginger in my hand, and that is what it is to make a toast. Uh, but thank you so much for that, and uh, let's have Konde to give his parting shots.
Um, I, I don't think we are able to hear him. Um, I think he's dropped off the call, but would like to thank everybody that has made the time to be on this space. Um, we we hope that if any of these other such spaces come up that you are able to join. Thank you so much for your time. And um, thank you so much to our panelists as well. And to Lexamika for having this uh, conversation, for facilitating this conversation. It's a very timely conversation. And um, to the different stakeholders on the space, we see Joshua Kingdom. I see very good people here who are interested in this topic. Um, I see Remy on the call. We are unable to have questions, but we thank each one of you for making the time to be here. Um, good night and have a lovely weekend.
This audio is made with Audio Toolkit for Windows Store, downloaded for free now.